Hello, everyone. Welcome to Setter Talk. I am your host, Kyle Warren. Our guest today is Ryan Schmidt. He joins us uh, from the great state of Alaska, where the land and the birds are abundant and the people are not. <laughs> uh, Ryan, welcome <laughs> to the show. Thank you for having me, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, where you're from, how you came, how you got to Alaska, and um, we'll take it from there. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, Ryan Schmidt, and um, um, I'm actually uh, originally from uh, – I got family in Iowa and uh, my folks and my brothers and stuff actually are Pennsylvania. So I'm originally a transplant to Alaska from Pennsylvania. Um, I always dreamed of coming to Alaska as a young guy and I, I made the decision and took that opportunity to do that when I was in college. And so I originally came up to Alaska about 20 years ago and uh, I was going to the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Uh, was Didn't graduate from there, but was pretty close and decided I wanted to head back uh, to the East Coast and to West Virginia University where I finished up my studies. And uh, at that point, like, you know, I was the whole time I was there, I was thinking about getting back to Alaska. I knew the moment I got here that I wanted to to end up being here for a while. So graduated from WVU, uh, packed my bags, once said goodbye to my folks and I made the long drive back here. And like I said, I've been here for about 20 years now. Wow, that's awesome. Um, so uh, your uh, your upland hunting life, uh, I know you have three setters now. Um, yep. Yeah. Are they are they your first dogs? Did you have other setters or other or other hunting dogs prior to having them in Alaska? Yeah. So I I actually had a, a versatile breed of Weimaraners for uh, I've had two of those in the past. Okay. Um, they were they were really good dogs. Um, you know, I was younger. I was probably the best trainer. Um, so they they. They never really, really meet, you know, met their full potential per se. Um, uh -huh. And uh, and I had dogs all my life. My, my family and I was they're big waterfowl hunters, and so I've been around Labradors and training, and you know, not they did some hunting and some little bit of local trialing and stuff like that. So it's always around dogs. Um, I just I love dogs. My first dog I got when I was a kid for Christmas type of deal. And uh, yeah, you know, and so I had the the Weimar honors, and and uh, they they did okay. They actually probably were more. Uh, a little bit better at flushing birds, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, at close ranges and, um, and it, just life went on and work. And, uh, you know, I, my, my last, uh, Weimaraner, um, she was fairly old and I didn't really hunt her much anymore. And, and, uh, but I'm still wanted to hunt and did a lot of hunting and, and dreamed about getting a, you know, a really good, uh, bird dog with good pedigree and, uh, had more time and effort and resources to put in the training and, and do it the right way. And um, so I started doing some research and, uh, you know, big rough grouse hunter, obviously, um, absolutely love rough grouse. And the more and more I looked at uh, several different breeds, really nice dogs out there. I just, I kept coming back to, you know, a classic grouse dog, uh, a setter. And, and just every picture I saw of them and everything I read about them in terms of working grouse and stuff is, was right up my alley and what I wanted. And uh, yeah, so I pulled a trigger on my first setter, uh, Paxson, my male, uh, about 10 years ago. Yeah, cool. Very cool. Um, yep. so, uh, you got three setters, I, uh, two of the Ryman types and one's the Llewellyn type. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. Yep. I, uh, so Paxson's my male Ryman type. He's about 10. Sitka is a uh, female. She's, uh, eight. And then, uh, Bristol, a little bit over two years old, just got her, uh, she's a uh, Llewellyn type that, uh, got for her from our friend Chewy with cash setters. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. 
Um, well, if Bristol is anything like uh, her litter sister, Jilly, who I just love, she's uh, an amazing, amazing dog. Um, I'm sure you couldn't be happier with Bristol. Oh, no. Yeah, I love her. She's she's fantastic. She's done incredibly well. Um, you know, so this this past year and we're still in our season. We got a long season ahead of us. Um, and, and so this past fall it was her first real full time season with us. Um, and she, and she was phenomenal. And, and, and prior to that, you know, Chewy and his wife had come up to visit us and he brought her up, uh, along with Jackman. It would have been, uh, late fall, October, um, of last year. And so she was kind of just, you know, feeling out the ground and smelling all the new things and seeing all the new things and learning new species and habitat. And so, but she really started turning it on pretty, pretty, pretty solid. And, uh, you know, spring of 2019, we have that late season, uh, uh, spring ptarmigan hunt and uh, yeah. she was phenomenal and, and then we just worked through the summer and, and going into this fall she just had a super super fall yeah yeah that's cool you know i i would imagine uh uh while your older dogs are are still going pretty good given the age differences between bristol and the other two bristol's going to be carrying quite the workload uh this season right <laughs> Yeah, she, she has, she has this season. Um, actually she, you know, and that's another thing that worked out really well this year is, uh, kind of having her come into the season. So the oldest dog packs and, um, he ended up, uh, he's got a degenerative issue, uh, that we found out about this year and, uh, we had a really rough fall with him. And, um, and I don't know if you've ever heard of, uh, it's, I think it's laryngeal paralysis and, uh, he was just diagnosed, diagnosed with a partial paralysis. So we had, um, mm. uh, early in the year, uh, he went down pretty bad and it was a pretty bad situation and, um, he's fully recovered now and doing well, but that pretty much retired him semi-retired. He'll, he, I, you know, you know, the dogs, yeah. he's never going to stay retired. I mean, we'll, we'll sure, do some sure. short hunts and stuff with him, but we really got to manage him. Um, and so he's, he's kind of going in that mode. And so really Bristol, um, where I was going to kind of feather her in, uh, with the older dogs and work them this year, uh, she ended up, uh, getting a pretty heavy load put on her fairly quickly and she responded beautifully. Her and Sika, uh, they were a really solid team this year. They did really well. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, uh, it's hard to see that the older ones get old and, you know, I, I mean, I, my, my oldest Llewellyn I have, which actually was my first Llewellyn, uh, is going to be 16 in May. And, wow. uh, you know, up, up until two years ago, she could, still hunt for like 45 minutes in the grouse woods. And after that hunt, jump up on the tailgate, you know, and, and get in the yep. box. And, uh, you know, they get to that age of 10, which you can have them still, you know, be full of vitality and, and doing good, yep. but it's just, you, anything can happen at that age, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, the eyes start kind of clouding and, and yep. uh, things start slowing down a little bit. And, you know, you, you see them out here in the, in the, around the house when the dogs are out playing and stuff and, and you don't know anything's wrong. It's, it's when he starts, you know, really working and then you start kind of hearing that raspy sound where he's not breathing correctly. And, uh, yeah. and the issue we end up having with him this fall was he, he basically overheated and we had no clue and tons of water. Mm -hmm. It wasn't actually even a particularly hot day, but when you can't breathe, that's what happens. And, uh, yeah. so like I said, we got that all squared away and, and, and he'll live the rest of his life, a good, happy life. Every time I take the girls out hunting, he goes along with us still and stuff. And he ends up standing yeah. back the, the vehicle or whatnot, but we'll, we won't leave him out. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. Well, uh, glad to hear he's doing better. Um, yeah. well, uh, as far as, uh, uh, species of birds. Um, you know, I, I gotta say while I, I am pretty much exclusively a, a rough grouse hunter and, uh, dabble in some woodcock when they happen to be in grouse cover. Um, yep. you know, uh, 
you, you certainly have a handful of grouse species up there. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the species that you hunt and uh, what you like to hunt uh, and uh, a little bit about their habitat um, for the birds that are down in the lower 48, uh, you know, how that might uh, differ at all. Yeah. So, you know, primarily, like I said, uh, obviously I'm a big rough grouse guy and we've got uh, a really strong population up here. Uh, you know, you, we we talked a little earlier and, and I talked about uh, the cycle that we were kind of coming down a couple years ago and uh, still should have been pretty decent, but we got hit with a really late uh, spring. And, you know, for folks down there, I mean, we, we were having minus sub, you know, sub-zero temperatures and snow all the way through uh, middle of May and even some snow left over from that spring up until June. So it really affected the nesting season that bad. So we were, as we were headed to bottom, we ended up hitting rock bottom fairly quickly. So the last couple of years are pretty rough on rough grouse. Um, uh, moving birds, but choosing not to shoot them type of deal. Um, yeah, sure. and then obviously, uh, you know, we got a really, really strong population of spruce grouse up here. I mean, there's even on low years, there's a lot of birds and, and they're fantastic birds for younger dogs. They're pretty good sized bird, put out a lot of scent that, um, you know, they, they hold a little tighter, don't want to flush as bad. You know, their predators come from above. So to fly is to die for them. And, mm-hmm. and so they, they got a reputation of being pretty dumb when they're not, um, but uh, they, they're great for that. And actually early season, pretty good eating. And then we move into a, a, a sharp-tailed grouse. We got, uh, again, fairly good numbers on sharp-tailed grouse. And, and they have kind of a similar cycle to rough grouse, but it's kind of it's a, it's a bigger period of time. Um, a friend of mine, Jim McCann, and I talk about it quite a bit. And, and they, they go on these big, every like 30 years or so, they'll explode. And just a handful of years ago, we had sharp tail grouse. And I mean, I, I was laying in bed one morning looking out the window and my wife said, is that a grouse on the top of that tree? And it was a sharp tail grouse. I'd never seen sharp tail grouse in my house ever before. <laughs> Sit, um, sitting in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Sitting on top of the tree there. So I figured there was probably a few more around, you know, and, um, so, but yeah, so the, the so pretty good on sharp tails too. Um, and, and even with this kind of expo- little mini explosion we've had here of them in the last couple of years, and they've been actually recorded south of the Alaska range in areas that they've never seen sharp tail grouse before. So that's kind of cool. So we know there's quite a few birds out there. And then our state bird, the willow ptarmigan, and, and it's, you know, the other subspecies, the rock and, and, uh, uh, white tail ptarmigan. And, and so, yeah, we got, and, and actually, um, I, we don't talk about them much because we don't have them up here where we're kind of the, you know, the centralized bird hunting of the, you know, capital of the state is in this interior area in Fairbanks where we live. Um, but down in the Southeast, they have a blue grouse or what we call sooty grouse up here. And, oh, okay. um, it, it's not a bird that I've hunted. It's, you know, pretty far away. I've, I've been talking about it. I've actually just emailed some biologists with the state of Alaska, uh, the other day about, uh, kind of trying to find the right timing to, cause I got friends down in Juneau now that, that moved down there a couple of years ago. And so I'm trying to find a timing, um, on a way to hunt them with dogs. They're primarily hunted in the spring when they're hooting and they're sitting on top of trees and people, you know, locate them by the sound and then, uh, harvest them, you know, with 22s and stuff. But I, I, yeah, I, right. I want to hunt them with dogs. So sure. I've been kind of in sure. sending some information towards biologists to try to find out how I can actually make that work, you know, accomplish that. Yeah. Well, that yeah. sounds, that sounds yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't, I had no idea that those, those were up there. Um, backing up to, yep. uh, the sharp tail grouse, um, uh, you know, things I've seen, uh, and heard from, from a lot of, uh, Jim McCann's post actually, um, with yep. the, uh, sharp tail kind of being in this transition, transitional habitat where you can be, you know, you don't know if you're going to flush a rough grouse or a sharp tail grouse. Uh, could you, could you describe that habitat and that scene if you've been in that scene before um, 
uh, yeah. with the, your setters and, and the birds? Yeah, yeah. So they, they do. They um, Actually, realistically, if you, th- you think about it, the sharptails, spruce grouse, and rough grouse, um, they they all have, you know, the habitat ebbs and flows in and out of different type of habitat, you know, mini, mini habitat, micro habitats, what I like to call them inside a habitat. And so sure. those three birds, um, I've found them relatively close proximity to to each other lots of times. But but sharptails and, and rough grouse in particular, um, they, they love those young, uh, you know, aspen stands with all the, you know, the, the buds and stuff and the forest floor covered in berries and and um in the in those grassy meadows and kind of swampy boggy land um lowlands and the birch forest and stuff and so they actually share uh habitat quite a bit i've i've been out you know several times hunting rough grouse and, and got into coveys of sharptails um yeah. you know the sharptail hunting up here primarily is really focused in this uh little town south of fairbanks delta junction it's an agricultural area um that they, uh-huh. they cleared for barley barley production back in the 70s and there's some really big uh farms down there well it's a lot of those are in crp now and and you know in barley fields and it's kind of an older style of farming where there's a it's not as clean a lot of windrows and, and uh, rough brushy edges and uh, the sharptail is really concentrated in that area and so it's really known and, and, and kind of popular and famous for sharptail hunting down there um and it's one of the better areas to hunt them because outside of that they you know they're 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 a little more sporadic than rough grouse rough grouse are um you know a little more attached to habitat um than the mm-hmm. sharp you know attached they're kind of in specific areas of smaller uh, uh you know they're kind of a smaller home range uh, where sharp tails a little bit bigger home range and move and stuff and so they're a little more tough to concentrate on on those areas outside of those ag areas i mean like i said you definitely get into them and they definitely have habitats they prefer um but they're kind of a unique bird up here they're pretty neat yeah that's cool very cool um i know uh i know you do a uh you know you have a a long long bird season a long ptarmigan season specifically um and uh you you really enjoy that bird as well uh one of the things i'm always uh fascinated by uh, that I see, um, on social media following you, you know, is, uh, you know, your trains, planes, and automobiles, uh, sense of, <laughs> of getting to these hunt areas that, uh, I'm very envious of. And I, I obviously even in the great state of Alaska, where it's so vast and, and so wild, I'm sure, I'm sure there's not necessarily a place where, you know, no man has stepped foot before, but I'm sure that when you're going into all these hunt areas, you certainly feel like it. Um, yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your, your transportation to these different species of birds that you're going to with your setters. Yeah. So, and like you said, the remoteness, um, it's, it's a, you know, large, large state and, and relatively few roads. If you want to be honest, you know, outside the city, city roads and stuff, there's, uh, what is there? I think six, seven, six, seven highways or something like that. So I think they say if you just kind of stick to the road system between Anchorage, Fairbanks, Valdez area on the main three, four highways there, it's only like 7% of the state that you can actually see. And so, yeah, so with that remoteness, there's obviously a need to, you know, um, you got to get off the road a little bit. You got to get into these areas. Like you said, that there's areas, no doubt in my mind, I've hunted that, that uh, a person's probably never been before. Um, and, and, you know, you get into these areas and, and there's tons of habitat, uh, there's tons of birds and, uh, you know, and less pressure off the roads, you get, you know, a lot of moose hunters or, or people that's like, get out and 
look for birds and bunnies and stuff by driving around and you know so you get get away from those crowds a little bit which aren't real heavy crowds anyway but even away even further and so yeah we 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 go go at it pretty hard and and and, um and try to get into those areas and so i i utilize several methods uh, obviously a road vehicle to get to where we're going but uh we we uh in the winter springtime chasing ptarmigan we use uh snow machines and i got a little pull behind sled that it's got a little suspension system that was built uh, from with a buddy and I that we kind of pieced together for the dogs so they had a nice, comfortable, safe ride. Um, I've got a Polaris six-wheeler uh, up to then. I had four-wheelers for years, but I bought a six-wheeler a couple years back for that bigger box for dog ba- boxes and stuff like that. Um, we use riverboat quite a bit. Uh, my wife and I have a remote cabin that we go to all the time and visit and get away from, you know, the fast paced city of Fairbanks. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, uh, so I use that boat to get to the cabin, which I've got phenomenal grouse hunting out around the cabin, but it, in just other areas, I've got probably seven, eight covers. That I hunt pretty regularly once or twice a year. That's riverboat accessible only. Um, and yeah, then, there was this, uh, there and, was this not, not to cut you off, but I got this image yep. burning in my mind of, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, this, this photo of you with your, you know, off your boat with, with, uh, Paxson and Sitka and, and, uh, and you, you had a great day hunting roughs and, you know, you yeah. wrote this brief story on, you know, you know, basically the journey to get there and then, you know, going off into this place. And I'm like, if I ever, ever get to Alaska. I'm going to twist Ryan's arm and make me <laughs> and make him take me to to that spot on that journey to get there because I I'm all about uh nothing like what you have per se but uh yeah. I, I love the deep cover feeling it to me it's like part of that uh, American you know bird hunting experience uh for me you know I I I have an ATV and you know I got yep. my uh 4 inch orthopedic dog bed in the in the dog crate on the on the back of my dump body box ratchet strapped in and with a five gallon gas can and you know i'll go 20 miles from wherever i got my uh truck parked one way you know into uh you know national forest lands and stuff uh federal forest lands on all these networks of logging roads but uh something different about going in a boat where you know there's zero road systems you know it's so cool you know and and some of these areas i get into i mean like like you said, even where you're at there, I mean, just a little bit more effort and you're where nobody's at. And uh, yeah. I, I, I know I hunt areas with my boat. I know I hunt areas that, you know, maybe man stepped there at one point looking for a moose or something, but very few people's ever been there. There's places I hunt that I don't see boot marks. I don't see spent shells. I don't see anything but, you know, myself, my dogs and, and the birds we're chasing or whatever, you know, so it's just to utilize those tools. I mean, yeah, they're expensive tools and stuff, but it's part of living in Alaska. You got to have toys to get out, like I said, and, and get off the road system and enjoy stuff. And, uh, we, you know, planes, we do, we do a little bit of guiding in the fall for an outfitter mm-hmm. out of Kenai mountains. We fly in doing some ptarmigan hunting and stuff. And, uh, you know, we get to load the dogs up in the beaver and fly out into the mountains over glaciers. It's really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I like, you know, it's just amazing. You, you just go a little bit further and you, maybe you walk a little bit further and, and people don't do that as much. And it's amazing how far, you know, how much you can get away and, and hit these unexplored areas with, with just a little bit more effort. 
Yeah. Well, it sounds like some pretty classic Alaskan therapy, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I uh, promise you, if, if you ever make it up, we will we'll hunt that, that, that cover for sure. That's a good spot. And uh, as soon as you brought up that, that memory, it just I was sitting in the chair here looking outside and that just gave me the chills because I, yeah. I remember specifically taking the day off of work that day and my wife was off and I said, hey, I'm going to take off too. And uh, I said, why don't we load up the dogs and, and go hunt this? I haven't hunted it in two years. And, and she actually went along and she's not a hunter, but she likes to go and watch the dogs and stuff. And so her and I cruised around that day and followed the setters. And I think uh, we harvested a few. I think we moved, I want to say 14 or 15 birds that day. And it was a really nice day. Yeah, no, I think, I think uh, if I recall correctly, you had two or three in the bag that day. Um, yeah. And one of them was a nice, uh, nice chocolate bird actually. Yep. I was just gonna took the words out of my mouth. I was just gonna ask you up there, uh, what kind of what kind of color fans do you get on your ruffs up there? So primarily gray. Most of our vast majority of our birds are what I call gray phase. We do get some red birds, and I've been noticing here the last couple of years we we've, we've moved more and more red birds, but nowhere near as red as uh you know Appalachian type birds. Uh, yeah, right. Much more of a washed washed out kind of rusty bird, and then every now and then we'll get into um and I've noticed an uptick a little bit more in the last couple of years too on on some of these kind of color phases like you know people call chocolate or bronze or or stuff like yeah. that, but but few much fewer and farther in between. But yeah, so I would say probably uh probably in the 85 90% range is going to be the uh the gray phase birds. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um yeah. so the uh an, another bird that I know you have strong affections for is the ptarmigan. Um Yeah. I uh that that is I don't have a lot of birds on my my bucket list. I got chuckers on my own bucket list someday that I'd love to hunt in Utah, Nevada, Idaho. And then I got uh ptarmigan. Uh I got some Norwegian roots and that's pretty much the 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 game bird over there and uh some first generation uh uncles that have told me about ptarmigan uh growing up and everything and so there's they're kind of this you know magical mythical bird in 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 my mind and from <laughs> from my family history that uh when i see um uh you know you out there hunting them all the time i've spoken to chewy a little bit about his experience up there with you and um yep. you know it sounds pretty pretty wild why don't you just take us through uh um, ptarmigan hunt, uh, with, uh, with your trio and what, uh, you know, I, I know that they're constantly on the move and Chewie's telling me about yep. the, the, this molting, you know, of, and the, and the stop and go and over great distances. <laughs> it, it sounds pretty wild and intense. They're a neat bird. They really truly are. Like I said, I'm a rough guy, rough grouse guy at heart, but, uh, I mean, a very, 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 very close second for me is ptarmigan. Uh, they just, they're there's just such a unique bird they're they're just a true bird of wilderness you know and uh and and they do they 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 kind of they're they're really similar up and everything up here in alaska seems like for at least a, a portion of the time is on the move um you know everything's kind of nomadic and ptarmigan are no exception i, I call them a little caribou and um and so, you know, they, they hit the areas where they got their breeding grounds. And so, you know, kind of almost like clockwork, I can, there's areas I hunt in the spring where I know there's going to be birds. Um, and then, you know, and then the fall is a little bit different. Summer's a little bit different and, uh, but they're neat. They are, they, they go through, you know, they, they change colors, photo period. Uh, they're, you know, super cryptic, incredible camouflage in the summers and falls. And then they, you know, as winter starts to rear its ugly head, um, they start molting and changing and by winter they're all white. Um, 
and they're just really neat. They're, they're, they're a dark meat bird. Um, I think they're pretty good. Most people do. I've, I've heard people here and there that didn't care for them as much, but I, I think they're pretty good eating, but they're, they're flyers, you know, so they got dark meat and, uh, yeah. and the uh, same, you know, I, I had a conversation with a guy the other day again, kind of talking about, you know, um, I heard you can walk up and hit them with a stick. And certainly if you fly out in the middle of nowhere where a bird or anything's never seen another human, you can get that anywhere. I've like, I've seen videos of rough sure. girls sitting on hunters guns and stuff. And, uh, but for yeah. the most part, they're super sporting in the spring. They'll run like a rooster and you're in snowshoes trying to keep up with them. And the dogs are relocating and, you know, and, and then, and you get in the fall and you got larger groups and stuff and you got birds that are kind of watching out and, you know, they'll flush wild and stuff. So, and they just live in an incredible, incredible environment. So, you know, we hunt up in the mountains, you got glaciers and snow capped mountains and all that stuff. And, you yeah. know, you're working your tail off, but, but they are, I just, they, like I said, they're really, really close second in my heart to, to, to rough grouse. Um, and they are a neat bird for sure. Are there, are there of the, uh, I think you said there's three species, uh, that, that you hunt yep. there. Are there, um, are one or, Two of those species more difficult and challenging for the for the dog um, to work than than another. Not necessarily, I would say. Uh, you know the the white tails. So ptarmigan, you can kind of look at them. Yeah, white tails. They're they're the mountain goats of the ptarmigan species. They're you know four, five, six, seven thousand feet. They live in the rocks, um, and they they are really known for really sticking close and not flying and stuff. They're a smaller bird, uh, you know, and, um, they're quite a bit smaller than the other two ptarmigan species. We don't get into them a ton. I've, I've taken some, actually, I took, uh, took some this year over Sitka in Bristol, uh, when we were doing a little bit of guiding, like I mentioned, and that was cool. So that checked off another species for Briss. Um, and, uh, but they, they, they will, I mean, you're, you're falling them across these rock slides and they're just running like crazy cause they don't really want to get up and go. But we primarily uh, up here, we're at in Fairbanks have a uh, rock and willow ptarmigan. And, um, that's primarily what we focus on. Um, their habitats kind of overlap. Willow ptarmigans are, are you know, they're kind of known more for kind of river bottoms, lower level elevation. And then the rock ptarmigan are kind of in between, uh, the two other species of ptarmigan and like that, you know, 2000. 3,500 foot range and, uh, kind of the high country like caribou and stuff. And, um, so no, I wouldn't say that any of them is more difficult than the other, you know, you get some difficulty with the whitetails with the, the habitat, um, you know, the, the willows in the winter time, if they're kind of hanging low and feeding in the willow bottoms of rivers and stuff, they're more difficult to access just because of snow depths, but they kind of start creeping up the side of the hill and getting in the rock ptarmigan country. And that's what we primarily focus on in the, the winter and spring is the rocks, um, because you're up on windswept, um, uh, ridges and stuff where you can actually move around in snowshoes and the dogs can cover ground. You know, the dogs are light enough that they're up on that hard packed snow and they can move. Um, so that's habitat kind of dictates the difficulty at times, but in terms of, um, you know, the birds themselves, they, besides running and stuff, you know, the normal tricks that birds do, um, there's no real difference for difficulty yeah. for the dogs on the, on the species. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, when, when I think of your, your videos of, of these, uh, you know, ptarmigan hunts when the dogs are on point, I, <laughs> I picture zero degrees, 20 mile an hour <laughs> winds and the dogs, you know, pointing a covey of ptarmigan, you know, like 50 to 75 yards away. And, yeah, uh, that happens. I just, uh, I'm just trying, I'm, 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 thinking of myself like being on the ground there looking at these setters on point you know hearing that wind just 
you know, rattling <laughs> through your phone, you know, and yep. uh, like how far are these shots that you're doing? You're giving, obviously your shutters, your setters are showing tremendous caution here. You know, they're, um, yep. you know, wafting in a, you know, a boatload of birds that have just been on the run. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, they're kind of waiting for you to decide what you're going to do. But, you know, how close are you able to get to those birds that are just kind of like, you know, pure white moving against this pure white landscape, just cruising away, <laughs> walking away yeah. from you and the dogs, you know? A lot of times I'm glad when dogs are on, you know, singles or two or three birds because they're going to yeah. hold a lot tighter. You know, there's a lot of times I, you know, you get a dog and they're in the middle of nowhere and you're looking and there's, you're like, what is out? You know, all of a sudden there's a little bird out there. And so you get into singles, doubles, maybe three birds. You can get, you know, relatively decent shots, 20 yards, 25 yards, somewhere, okay. you know, 30 yards. I mean, you can get quite a bit on them. They don't, you know, especially when it's windy like that, they don't want to fly. Just like any other game bird, the danger's from above, you know. And yeah. so if you got a dog, you know, a predator on the ground, and they, those birds know that dog's there. But so they're thinking, hey, I'm not going to move. And so you can kind of work into them, get much closer. But you start getting in those, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten birds in the spring and stuff. Yeah, you're the, the you know dogs have them, and then all they'll just start running. You're on snowshoes, and so I, I usually in the in the springtime I switch up and get out of my my um, you know lighter chokes and get into my tighter stuff. I, and you know I, I typically like improved cylinder modified at a minimum for those spring hunts. But you can start getting into you know. 30, 40 yard shots pretty quickly. Um, sure. And sure. So you, yeah. Yeah. You I was just going to bear down and concentrate <laughs> a little better. If you got the, uh, you know, if the dog's on, the dog's on point and you got, and it's, uh, you know, obviously in that big open country, you know, and you got winds like that, you know, you're, you're working into the wind unless you probably come across some ptarmigan tracks that takes you a different direction. Um, yeah. But uh, yep. obviously the ptarmigan aren't going to get up in the air and and fly against that 20 mile an hour wind too much. So they'd be coming right back at you. Right. So, Oh yeah, they do. And they, and they can fly. They, 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 they've got some, some pretty good wheels on them in terms of wings. They, they can move pretty good. They, they're a challenging target because like you said, you, you know, you go back to that white bird on white snow and you got, okay, yeah. I'm looking over a valley. I got a white hill behind me. And <sighs> when ptarmigan fly, they spread their tail fan. They got a black band. So uh -huh. a lot of times your eye, goes to that black band well what are you doing now you're shooting at its tail <laughs> so you're missing yeah. you know yeah it can be a really difficult challenge at, uh, at times for for shooting for sure yeah no def definitely sounds like it um for sure that's cool um uh when i was talking to chewy about his trip he was telling me how like you know when the birds are molting like sometimes the dogs are you know tracking and pointing like you know clusters of feathers on the ground you know uh when, when you got a, a quite a few of them that to me was just surreal you know it's just that's something that you'd never see rough grouse hunting you know? um, no you, you don't and then you get the you know about the time he was coming up too is they're starting to those fall groups like i talked about so the, him and i we hunted a couple different valleys i took them to and we removed large groups of birds and i remember one particular day we were up off the the one highway hunting and, and we went down and I said, we, I want to check this valley over here because there's snow there and there wasn't snow everywhere else. And I said, those birds are turning white. And if there's snow in that valley, there's going to be birds there. And they know when they, they know when they're white and the, and the ground behind them is dark, you know? <laughs> yep. And uh, as soon as we got into snow, there was just tracks everywhere. And, you know, we've got these experienced dogs, uh, Jack man packs and Sika, youngster Bristol. And I'll be honest, uh, they started getting the birds and it was just pure pandemonium. I mean, there was dogs running everywhere, <laughs> birds flying everywhere. And Chewie and I just stand there watching. And I said, I've never, 
I, I I don't know what to say. You know, I'm so used to these old veterans that are just solid on their birds and everybody was just going ballistic. And so we just kind of sat back and let them all calm down and then <laughs> end up working them and had some phenomenal dog work at that point. But, but yeah, you yeah. get into these areas where there's just, it looks like, a, like I said, a herd of caribou came through with their ptarmigan tracks and, and you get into these groups of, I don't even know how many birds we moved that day, probably I, I don't know, hundreds, maybe, I don't know. It was a lot, yeah. but, uh, yeah. it can be a lot on a dog. And like you said, then you get in these areas where they're molding, there's feathers, you got dogs locked up and you super fresh scent, but the birds are gone and it's fun. It's neat. Yeah. It's different. No, it's, it's, it's an experience. That's for sure. There, there is such thing on some hunts, especially for young dogs is too many birds, you know, it's like, it's good for there them really to is. have that, to work a little bit for them. And you know, you want like that, yep. that, that steady, constant low dose you know you know maybe every you know <laughs> 10 10 to 30 minutes kind of thing you know you get into some birds but yeah uh, when they're all together like that um you know it's just, it, it it can become a little hectic on a young dog that's for sure um yep. you know that's, i have that's a, the truth yeah i have a, a a buddy of mine that has a camp adjacent to mine in michigan and he has uh, english pointers real nice guy he has a a daughter that actually lives in Alaska. I'm not sure where, but a couple of years ago, um, he went up there. I, I believe he was hunting willow ptarmigan, but, uh, and he yeah. went like early in the season. And it was like beginning of September, you know, or whenever you're, I don't know if your ptarmigan season opened then, but I believe it was early September. And he was describing yeah. this, uh, uh, place that he was. It was just, it sounded like, uh, just, sounded like a slice of heaven. He's like, yeah, he's like, it's amazing. He's like, you got these dogs. They're, they're ahead of you. Um, you're, you're standing in this like really lush Valley and like, there's just yep. wild blueberries. As far as you can see, there's this waterfall coming out of a mountain. The dog goes on point, you're just <laughs> scooping up blueberries and eating them. And then you step in front and 30 ptarmigan fly up in front of you. And they're just beautiful birds against this beautiful landscape. I was like, so why'd you come home? <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, that's, um, I mean, that's perfect. I, I've been in I, probably not that exact spot, but in a very similar spot, probably a thousand times in my life. And, and he's absolutely right. I, uh, there's, I've been in the mountains. You sit down on a sunny day and the dogs are working, you're eating blueberries. I, my dogs actually, I've, I've had days where I've hunted in ptarmigan up in the hills. And, the, and so if he was hunting in the fall and he was moving that many birds, he was probably moving willow ptarmigan for sure. But, yeah, um, so. you know, dogs come back and they're just stained with blueberries. And, and my dogs, you know, <laughs> over the years, I've just, they'll come lay down with me and they'll start grazing on the blueberries. You know, they, they kind of learn, they know what blueberries are now. And so they'll, they'll uh -huh. pick up some, some, some berries themselves and stuff, but it is, that's, that's a perfect descriptor. It's, it's that nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, that, that's very cool. So, um, let's talk a little about your Ryman's. We know, we know you got uh bristle from, uh, uh, Chewy. Uh, uh, yep. where'd you get your Ryman's from? I think they came from the same breeder, correct? Yeah, yeah. Paxton and Sitka came from uh, Burl Setters in Millen in Wisconsin, uh, Deb and Chad Burl. And um, yeah, you know, I, I we were talking a little bit earlier and, and it's kind of interesting how I ended up, even, you know, not really interesting, but kind of interesting how I ended up with the Ryman's. I, like I said, I was just looking for that classic grouse dog and looking at setters. And to be honest, I didn't know at that time, 10 years ago, every little detail on all the different lines of setters. And, and I was just, you know, cruising on the internet, checking things out and and that, and their website happened to pop up and I read a little bit about the Ryman's and stuff. I'd been familiar with, you know, Corey Ford and, and, uh, 
George Bird Evans and their writings and all that stuff, but I wasn't super familiar with that particular line of setters, but I just knew I wanted a good looking setter and I wanted a good looking grouse dog. And, uh, I found, you know, so I started concentrating my efforts in, in states that I thought would, okay, well, if they got setters in no states, they've got to be pretty decent grouse dogs because they're good grouse states like Wisconsin and Minnesota, and, you know, yeah. um, some of those states and stuff. And so, yeah, I just by chance really came across, uh, Deb and, um, and, uh, got a hold of her and, said hey you know i'm looking this is what i'm looking at and this is where i'm at and we talked for a while and real nice lady and everything and seemed like she had pretty good dogs um and, and yeah so i ended up with them it wasn't out really looking for a ryman type or anything it was just looking for a, a good grouse setter and uh yeah been really really happy with them really happy with them yeah well <clears throat> good grouse dogs as you know come with all different types of names right ryman llewellyn yep you know whatever other yep breed you might have and background but uh, deb's on my list of contact hopefully i'll get her on the show and uh uh she can share uh, her experiences uh with uh, her lines of dogs and some of her own stories as well um uh, she yeah, seems like cool a to hear really nice sure. interesting lady yeah cool yep um, so uh as far as um uh you know in a nutshell if 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 um i'm sure thousands of people you know you might not obviously see them <laughs> but thousands of people yep. <laughs> travel to alaska every year to experience the alaskan upland experience uh in a nutshell yep. what kind of advice would you give an uplander that wanted to travel to alaska uh to hunt obviously you know having a guide is almost a must um but uh well what, what, not, not, what would you say? not really you know uh, the guiding part of it you know if you want to fly out and get out in, in, in a way in a way yeah, certainly. But, but a guy can, you know, our gal can come up here um, for a week, you know, rent an RV or whatever, travel around and rent a car. And there's, I mean, there's fantastic grouse and ptarmigan hunting that's road accessible. You, 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 a small game license is actually very inexpensive in Alaska. Um, I can't remember exactly how much is off the top of my head, but it's not that much money. I, I think the I think at one point it was 30 bucks. It might be 40, 40 bucks now or something for a small game license for a non-resident out of state. So it's really mm -hmm. inexpensive. Um, I've met lots of people over the years and social media and stuff like that. That's come up and they became friends with and come up and hunted with me and stuff such as, you know, like Chewy and stuff. And, yeah. um, but there's, there's a lot of people that come up and, and, you know, the, the biggest piece of advice I'd say is it's it, even the road system, even with it being a small percentage of the actual entirety of the state, the road system is still, put you in a lot of habitat, you know, Fairbanks to Anchorage is 360 miles. Um, mm -hmm. and then Fairbanks to Valdez is similar. And then Valdez to Anchorage, that, that triangle is, is similar, you know, 360 miles. So there's a lot of land in there. Um, and, uh, so, you know, the best advice would be to get a hold of, you know, a, uh, fishing game, the, the last department of fishing game does a great job putting out information on the habitats and bird species. They have a really nice poster. It's got all the bird species and a little bit of their habitat descriptions, their websites really, really good with information. Um, they got a little um, pamphlet and stuff about um, aging and sexing ptarmigan and grouse species. And, and uh, so fishing game does a really good job. Um, there's two small game biologists throughout the state. Rick Marazon is the head biologist. And then we have one here in uh, Fairbanks, a friend, Cameron Carroll, and she's the area biologist around here. She's the one that I helped do brood surveys on ptarmigan and stuff in the springs with the, with the dogs and stuff. Um, and so any of those people are super helpful, really knowledgeable. Fish and Game's got tons of information to give folks. Um, so that's where I would start. And then, you know, with social media nowadays, networking, 
it's not yeah. very hard to find someone that's probably got some information up here that you can connect with, you know, myself included. And everybody's pretty helpful about doing it. But, it, it, you know, you, you come up here for a week and you rent a Subaru and have a dog and you can yeah. cruise around and hunt ptarmigan, hunt sharptails, hunt spruce grouse, hunt rough grouse, uh, relatively inexpensively, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Well, you saved that boat ride rough grouse hunt for me, Ryan. You hear me? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I guarantee it. <laughs> um, very cool. Very cool. Um, so, uh, something I'm asking every person on, uh, that I have on the show, uh, and, uh, you know, our list can go on and on and on, but being a dedicated setter man now for a decade and, uh, yep. uh, you know, avidly hunting and being out there with the dogs, uh, as, as much as you possibly can be, um, if you had to take uh, three traits or three things and just make it three words and description that you feel uh, makes uh, a great dog, uh, you know, on all your grouse species, um, what would it yep. be? You know, as an example, like for me, uh, I, I had an interview with Chewy um, uh, recently and, you know, uh, <laughs> we were having a hard time coming up with three. But for me, uh, splitting <laughs> hairs in the order, but, you know, it's like intelligent cooperation and, and nose. Um, uh, certainly, uh, in my time with setters, um, that's what's worked for me as a, as a roughed grouse hunter. Um, yeah. uh, but everybody has their own things that they, you know, feel that like, you know, make or break a dog. And, you know, uh, we all, you know, if we made our list 10 things, you know, we would all share that, that same list, but what would be your three, your three traits, your three characteristics that you would, uh, you know, if you had to pick three, what would it be? Yeah, I think um, I, I, my list is really similar to yours, honestly, um, it, it not just to take an easy way out, but it, no, intelligence no, is no. important. And I, I really think um, not that not a, not that other dog breeds don't have intelligence, you know, I'm not going to go there. But uh, I sure. think setters just in general, just to, to, to me, they just appear to be really intelligent dogs. I, I can remember, you know piggybacking off that a little bit Paxson as a puppy um flushing a spruce grow. I mean he was just a little guy right out of a spruce tree and um and the rest of the day he went to every spruce patch that we could possibly find in that that birch forest you know like instantly he <laughs> yeah. knew man a bird came yeah. out of that specific habitat and I've seen that with setters a lot and and, mm -hmm. and even with those Ryman's and you know Llewellyn's being a little bit different on some things similar in a lot of things I see it with Bristol too. It doesn't take long for them to figure that out. So that intelligence to know that habitat where the birds are going to be and how to work birds is really important to me. I'd say number two would be nose. Uh, without a nose, you don't have a bird dog, right? And uh, yeah. it seems like, um, you know, again, with this, with the setters that I've been fortunate enough to have, they, they've all got solid noses and that just comes from, you know, buying good, good stock of dogs that come from good breeders that hunt grouse. Um, mm -hmm. And then that, that third piece, you know, um, the, the, the bit ability, as you call it, or, 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 you mm -hmm. know, um, the ability to work with you and stuff. I, 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 yeah, cooperation. I, I want yeah. my dog. Yeah. The cooperation. Exactly. That's the word. It, that's perfect. And, um, I, exactly. We're a team out there. You know, my buddy, Tom and I, that I hunt with quite a bit, he's got a, he's a draft guy. That's what he's got. And he's got a really nice dog. And him and I talk that about a lot is, is there's times, you know, you're out there with those dogs, your team. You know, and uh, sometimes yeah. they're not going to find every single bird or whatever. Maybe you, you get into a bird or wherever, you, you know, you get the dogs together and you kind of work those birds and stuff. And you got to have that teamwork. And I want independence from a dog to go out and find birds and stuff. But at the same time, I want to be on the same page in the same wavelength as that dog. I want them checking in with me. Um, I don't care if they, 
you know, work out into a cover 140 yards, but I don't want to be at 140 yards all day long and never see them. You know, we got to be yeah. working together. We got to be on the same page. And that's another thing I really like about setters is they've got some independence to go do what they're going to do, but they certainly want to be on the same page with you. And so really our, our three top priorities in terms of what you'd want from a dog are, are like I said, are spot on the same. Um, yeah. You know, that, that intelligence, that knows, and that willingness to, you know, the cooperation, willingness to work together. That's, I mean, you got those three things right out of a box with a puppy. I mean, you hardly have to do anything with the dog. You That's know, right. Um, a little basic, a little obedience basic obedience and, and bird yeah. exposure. <laughs> um, Absolutely. You know, one of my Absolutely. favorite things that, that I see uh, with uh, with a lot of quality setters um, and maybe just the versatile breeds, uh, while I'm, I'm sure I, I know they do it too, um, but I've just seen a higher percentage yeah. of the setters is uh, sampling, you know, like they'll, when yeah. they're going in the cover, you know, that, that they know is more birdie. Like if in here in New York, if I'm hunting, you know, like a abandoned farmland, old brushy old growth, but we, you know, go across, uh, uh, some more open cover that's less likely to hold birds. And, you know, they, they, they kick it up a mile or, or an hour per two, you know, to, to get over yep. to, uh, some new cover, you know, or there's always that, you know, they, they see a, a cluster of spruce really tight next to some dogwood tangles or something. And, and, yep. you know, they could be cruising along at six or seven miles an hour and boom, they come right down to a slow walk to a stop. They got their head up, sniff one way, sniff the other, sniff ahead, look at me, you know, and, and then uh, yep. decide, you know, tactically how they're going to how they're going to handle, you know, this potentially, you know, uh, uh, bird rich uh, environment, you know, and and they know they get to know, yep. I'm sure, you know, with the variety uh, between the spruce and the roughs you hunt, I'm sure. uh you know, you've had your fair share of birds and trees and, uh, yeah, you know, they get, they get to know the tree types and the locations of like where and how that happens. And it's, uh, it's really fascinating to, to see, uh, see them use their, use their smarts that way. Um, but yep, no, it very, really cool, is. very cool. And, it, and that's, like I said, that, that's, that's, that's gotta be right up there for me on number one. That's why I said intelligence. I mean, like I said, you need a nose, but, uh, like I, I, we get birds and trees and stuff like that all the time. Um, yeah. You know, and, and when I was younger and first started working dogs and stuff, there was a few times I'd come in, dogs on point, a bird in a tree, and I'm like, okay, did he pressure that bird? The bird jumped up. And I started learning, no, they're pointing the birds. Or, you know, they, they may be hitting ground <laughs> yeah. scent from before that bird moved there, but well, nine times out of yeah. ten, you feel the wind and stuff, and they're pointing them out of trees. And um, yeah. it happens quite a bit. And, and that's just like you said, it's just they just know it. They learn it. They're intelligent. And, and to yeah. me, they're thinkers. And uh, yeah. I still want them to be independent and get going and out there and stuff, but I want them to be thinking about things. And I've, I've worked with a lot of nice dogs that I don't really classify and not being mean as kind of thinkers. They cover lots of ground. They point birds. They're super nice dogs. But I can just – I'm working my dogs and I, and I, like you said, in those scenarios where I see what they're doing, they're kind of working in an area and they, they're working that set. They, I can tell they're thinking about what they're doing. And, and that's super yeah. important to me because if they're learning and they're thinking and, and that's just how they get good, you know, and that's, that's, sure. and I see that a lot with setters. I've, I've, it's not just my setters. I've worked with other setters and been around them. That was yeah. Yeah. initially probably because I didn't have the experience wasn't initial draw for me. It was more of the classic type grouse dog, but the more and more I've worked with setters and the more and more I've, you know, just kind of keep sticking with them is because it's, they're exactly what I want and they're just smart and got good noses. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the reasons why I, I decided to uh, create this podcast was, you know, as you know, with the English setter, there's, there's just such a wide range of type within, within this group of dogs. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's good and bad and all and whatever your preferences are, whether you like your dog 
reliably and consistently 200 yards out, you know, whatever the terrain is and that kind of independence, you know, or you want your bootlicker dog, you know, or the, the dog that uh, adjusts range well to its terrain. Um, yeah. yeah, some dogs definitely are more intelligent than others. And you can have dogs that, as I say, are, are, are more nose than brains and they can be uh, good bird finders and good pointers. But, you know, the ones that are more nose than brains, you know, tend to be a little less cooperative, you know, they're just out there yep. all the time kind of thing, you know, um, but, you you know, uh, most of us today, you know, just for just for safety, not not necessarily because of need, you know, we're we're running our dogs on GPSs, you know, and we got all these cool yep. stats that we now know about the dogs and their speed and their range and the distance they cover and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, uh, I, I'm sure, you know, given given the exposure your dogs get and the quality your dogs are, you know, how often are you in the spruce grouse woods or the grouse woods? And it's been one to five minutes and you're like, where's the dog? And you're about to pick up your GPS, look at him. And the dog comes right out in front of you on the trail, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. It's just, this, it's that connectivity and that synergy that uh, is there that, that, um, you know, we really, we really, you know, thrive on. And, and that uh, you see that a lot with setters and, uh, certainly, uh, the really good ones. Um, but no, that's awesome. Well, uh, Ryan, uh, we'll, uh, we'll conclude this show here. We could probably talk for hours about it. Uh, really awesome <laughs> conversation. Uh, I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, maybe down the road, we'll, we'll try to pick a couple more, uh, pinpointed topics and get a little deeper into okay. that because, uh, you live in a place and get to do, uh, what, uh, most of us uplanders, men and women, uh, would love to do. Uh, we're all jealous of your long season. I, I know it comes at a price <laughs> with a uh, lack of daylight and cold temperatures, but um, you, you know, uh, you certainly uh, live in the uplander dream in many ways. And I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Um, and yeah, I look forward pleasure. to having you again. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. So, I appreciate it. Yeah. Great. Well, everyone, this has been setter talk. I'm your host, Kyle Warren. Your guest today was Ryan Schmidt until next time. Give your setter a scratch on the head for me and you have a great day. Thank you.